Greetings to all 12 tribes scattered abroad and Shabbat Shalom to everybody. I want to thank our donors for supporting this ministry. You enable us to broadcast to the nations and what a blessing it is to be here this Shabbat. Now remember, you can always subscribe to our channel. That makes a huge difference, especially in this day and age when we're getting pounded by the New World Order. So please, subscribe to our channel. And if you want notifications, then you can click the notification bell. And remember, give us some thumbs up if you love this video. If you hate it, give us some thumbs down. Thank you for the consistent six of you that always give us the thumbs down. And the rest of you, praise Yah for the thumbs up and the good comments. Keep them coming. We are looking at Zephaniah chapter 3. And uh, there's only three chapters in the book of Zephaniah. So it is the close today. It is the close today. So open up the book of Zephaniah. If you like the Hebrew pronunciation, Zephaniah. Chapter 3, what we're going to be looking at today in this third chapter is you're going to see in the very opening verses of chapter 3, you're going to see how Judah, the house of Judah, rejects all four, all four of Yahweh's witnesses. You're going to see what that is as we expound upon the opening verses of chapter 3. Judah rejects all four of Yahweh's witnesses. But what I want to speak about today and tie this in is how there was this dark, silent period. And then, of course, John the Immerser comes on the scene, and then we have the amazing proclamation of our Messiah, Yahusha. And what does he find himself in? He finds himself in a situation of which Zephaniah is speaking about. He's in Judah, but the times have changed. The world has shifted. Shifted. The Romans are there, and there is this zealot movement. And he addresses the zealot move, movement, and he now takes what Judah rejected, these four witnesses of Yahuwah, and he now confronts the four witnesses that Yahuwah spoke of through the prophet Zephaniah. And those four witnesses that Judah rejected are the very four witnesses that Yahusha confronts. What am I talking about? He confronts the princes. He confronts the judges. He confronts the prophets. And he confronts the priests. This is how we begin today. Woe to her that is filthy and polluted, to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in Yahuwah. She drew not near to her Elohim. Her princes within her, they were roaring lions. Her judges, they were evening wolves. They leave no bones, none, till tomorrow. Her prophets, they are light. They're lightweights. They're wimps. They're compromisers. They're treacherous persons. Her priests, they have polluted the holy place. They, here's the key word, they have done violence to her Torah. Do we live in a day and age when the law of Yahuwah has been done away on one side of the aisle? But on the other side of the aisle, they've turned Yahuwah's Torah into Babylon mystery religion with a Babylonian Talmudic interpretation of Torah. So on either side of the aisle, violence has been done to Yahuwah's law. Where does that leave us? It leaves us on a narrow road, which Paul addresses in Galatians chapter 3.19. 
Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. What's that promise? The until clause of Genesis 49.10. That Messiah, Shiloh, would come and bring forth that change, that transference that the writer of the book of Hebrews says wasn't a transference from law to no law. It was a transference from a corrupt priesthood to the royal Malkitzedic anointing, which is where we're at today. Because there was a law that was imposed after the golden calf, and that was the book of the law. And that then added all of these Deuteronomic reforms. Question, did the Deuteronomic reforms, did they work? Did they bear forth fruit? All of those Deuteronomic reforms, they bore no fruit, did they? All the laws that were later added after the golden calf, they bore filth, they bore pollution, they bore oppression. Not that the word of Yahweh is such things, heaven forbid, but the people's actions in response to his law was filth, pollution, and oppression, of which Zephaniah is now addressing. Her rulers were blabbers. Her rulers were scandal mongers. Her judges devoured the innocent, stripping all their meat, which is, which is akin to all of their possessions were being stripped from their habitations. This is what Zephaniah is dealing with. Her religionists followed form without substance. What is the Catholic Church? Not to pick on the Catholic Church. It is form without substance. So many religions, Judaism, form without substance. What is the substance of the matter? The substance is a person, the person of Yahushua. Because religion will always follow form without substance, and that harkens back to a golden calf. Form without substance. All of this is what is happening in Zephaniah chapter 3. As Jerusalem sits in this most perilous of times, in this most perilous place, having the means to actually destroy itself as it circles the drain of prophetic history. So all of the Deuteronomic reforms, all the added laws because of transgression, all of the Levitical minutia, all the cries of the prophets, they all went what? Unheeded, didn't they? They all went unheeded. So what's the answer? What's the answer? If the people didn't listen to Moses, they didn't listen to the prophets, they didn't follow the imposed book of the law, all of the Deuteronomic reforms, the kings, the prophets, the priests. What could Yahweh do to gather his people back when all of that seemingly failed? This is the history of the Bible because the people were following form because they hadn't experienced substance. And you and I, if we don't experience the substance of Yahushua, will fall for the form, which is a form of godliness, yet denying the substance, the power, which is the resurrection. Deuteronomy 18.5, it is written, Yahweh Elohim will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me, unto him... Here's the substance that you need to hearken to. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So we're now moving from form to substance. And here's the prophecy. So, if the Deuteronomic reforms failed, 
the Levitical priesthood failed, Josiah and all of his reforms failed, the prophet's voices went unheeded, then you end up in this dark period. And then comes forth John the Immerser. And then comes forth the Messiah, Yahusha. And so he is now going to address the four witnesses that brought them into the dark period because he's now proclaiming the light. What you failed to witness, one, two, three, four, I will now confront, one, two, three, four. This is what Zephaniah chapter 3 is all about. Confronting the princes, confronting her judges, confronting her prophets, and confronting her priests. We're going to look at the work of Yahusha and how it connects to Zephaniah chapter 3. That was a long-winded way of saying just that. Have I lost you all? Okay. All right. Good. Just checking. How's the sound? Do we have good audio today? Excellent. Okay. Give us a thumbs up if you love the good audio today. Come on! Everyone's always giving us a thumbs down. Oh, the audio, I can't hear. Oh, it's coming out of one speaker. Well, you know what? It's tough in the broadcasting realm. Technology and Torah to the tribes, we have this love-hate relationship. So give us a thumbs up right there and subscribe. Hebrews 7.12. Because why would we go to Hebrews 7.12? Because the Deuteronomic reforms failed. Because the words of the prophets went unheeded. Because Josiah's reforms failed. It failed. It was an epic failure. Not because of Yahweh's word, but because man in his iniquity has this tendency to follow form never apprehending the substance. And until you apprehend the substance, you will always fall for the counterfeited form. If Yahweh loves us so much that he wants to redeem us, what avenue remains for Yahweh to gain his people back? There's only one. Here it is. For the priesthood being changed there is made it's an absolute necessity it is a must everything else failed it is a necessity that there must be a change of the torah verse 16 malkizedek is made not after the law of the carnal commandment but there is verily verse 18 a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the Torah, the book of the law specifically, made nothing perfect. It failed because it was form. But the bringing in of a better hope, substance, did. That's what we're talking about. So, Zephaniah chapter 3 there had to be there had to be a revision back to Yahweh's original covenanted plan a change back to his original priesthood and his book of the covenant torah you and i have apprehended this and this is no insignificant thing it's changed my life changed my wife's life changed my children's life changed our lives as a community and for that to happen there has to be a substantive change not only in our lives but in our application of law Torah a disannulling of the commandments that were weak because they were formed that were unable to change the people because true change only happens and you apprehend the substance. Does that make sense? It was time to enact a better hope. In Zephaniah's day, he couldn't apprehend it. The people couldn't apprehend it. It was time to enact the better hope, to look to the prophet like unto Moshe, 
the seed who should come to whom the promises were made, who could remove the carnal ordinances imposed upon them because the time of reformation was nigh a coming. Soon it was a coming because they had done what? They had done such violence to the law, verse 4. The book of the law they had done violence to. They didn't apprehend it. It didn't work. And we live in such a time. We live in such a time when religionists are again doing violence to the law. How so, you say? How so? Because they're either doing away with it on one side of the aisle, or they're pretending that Babylonian mysticism is the law. And that's not the law either. That is a form of the law, and we don't want form. Form fails. Substance in Yahusha is what is truth, and that has to be Malkitzedi in its inception and origin. So we live in such a time. Hey, Shabbat Shalom, brother. We live in such a time when religionists are doing violence again to the law by either doing away with it on one hand or putting you under a messianic Jewish synagogue of Satan revision of it on the other. But we need to do what to the Torah? Violence to it? No. So what is it that we do to the law? Do we get rid of it? Do we follow after the synagogue of Satan? Do we do violence to it? What do we do? There is one thing that we do to the law. Don't follow my words. Let's follow the words of the Bible. We liberate it. What does that mean? We liberate the law from form and we liberate it by apprehending its substance. Instead, we liberate it's a liberating law which is your and mine Malkitzedic reality. It should be because that's life. Religionists always aspire to form without substance which leaves a man parched, powerless, and inept in faith. Because Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith is the form of... No, it doesn't. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's not... Faith isn't the form. Faith always is connected to substance. Does that make sense? This is so powerful to me because I see Zephaniah 3 as the introduction into a very dark period of Israel's history. And I see Yahushua addressing the very things in Zephaniah 3 as the bright forming light of substance. So that's why I'm going off on this tangent today, and I hope you can comprehend what I'm saying. But I want us to look at the big picture of Israel's history, and then I'll relate it to where we are living today, 2,000 years on, when Yahushua confronted these four witnesses, because brethren, for you to live fully in the substance of your faith, you're going to have to confront these four things too. I spend my life confronting them, and you will have to too. And if you cower from it, you will find yourself locked in form. But the people of substance, we will confront these four witnesses with the truth of the gospel. Mm, wow. Second Peter chapter 2:19, it is written, "While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the slaves of corruption. For whom a man is overcome, if you're overcome by Greco-Romanism, if you're overcome by the mystery religion of Judaism and Babylonian Talmud, then you will bring forth the same fruit because it comes from the same spring, the same spigot. And out of a spigot comes what? One form of water, not two. For whom a man is overcome of the same, he is brought into bondage. 
For after they escape the pollutions of this world through the Master and Savior, Yahushua Messiah, if they are again entangled therein and overcome, their latter end is worse with them than the beginning. A change of law. Hebrews 7.12 That all religionists seem to hate. Whenever I bring up Hebrews 7.12, this is what religionists just want to wriggle out of, whether they're on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle. They just don't want to confront it. It has to be confronted. For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity, a change also of the law. If you don't invoke Hebrews 7.12 then you are doing violence to the Torah. It's that simple. If you don't invoke Hebrews 7.12, you fall under the judgment of Zephaniah chapter 3, doing violence to the Torah in your interpretation of it. Look at verse 5 of Zephaniah. Yahuwah is Zadik, righteous in the midst of her, he will not do iniquity. Every morning he brings his judgments to light. He fails not, but the unjust knows no shame. Have you ever done something so wicked? I know you have. Where you just woke up in the morning and you just felt so ashamed. Just so dirty. Just so ashamed. Well, as nauseating as it is, still be triumphed in the fact that you were convicted. That you were convicted. That you were convicted of your folly and of your sin. It was Yahuwah doing what? Bringing judgments, his judgments into light in your life. Verse 5. So now what do you do? You repent and you go your way and you sin no more. Do not be like a dog who returns to his vomit. Go out and rescue others. How do you rescue others? By sharing this great Malkitzedic message. Make disciples of nations and share of your great deliverance. Make your testimony count. It's all about being a good witness something that we were working on in our household this week with our children, about being a witness to the community. Look at verse 6. Because we know, before we jump into verse 6, still talk a little bit about verse 5, we know that the wicked does what? Knows no shame. I mean, in our day and age, the wicked knows no shame. What does that mean? They turn their shame into pride. The wicked knows no shame. They, in fact, turn their shame into pride and try and demand the rest of humanity approve their wicked ways into law. A law of iniquity, a culture of death, socialism and social and moral destruction is the fruit of the wicked knowing no shame. We live in such a world today, do we not? Their pride makes them, in fact, prejudice. You want to talk about pride and prejudice? I'm talking about their pride makes them prejudice. It's outrageous. And they're the ones screaming prejudice, but their pride makes them prejudice against conservative Bible-keeping believers. It is outrageous because this is the fruit of iniquity. I have cut off the nations. Their towers are desolate, verse 6. I made their streets waste that none passes by. Mm. Their cities are destroyed. So there is no man, no man. And there is no inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will receive Torah. So their dwelling should not be cut off. Howsoever I punished them. But they rose early and they corrupted their doings. 
You see, Yahweh will render, yes, he will, a prophetic final judgment on the hills and halls of political power. Whether it be the hills in Rome, the hills in Saudi Arabia, or the halls of power in Washington, D.C., their towers will be made desolate. Desolate. The infrastructure will fail because of our laws and our rulers. Open borders and social decay. Cities will go bankrupt. Refuse will rot in the street. If you live in California and you're looking to start a new business, I highly recommend you open a pest control company. 70% increase in rodents in California. Typhoid, disease, despicableness because our rulers are corrupted, our borders are open, social decay, cities are going bankrupt, football stadiums, shopping malls, parking structures will become FEMA camps, streets laid waste, no man, no inhabitant. That's what they are working toward, they being the corrupt rulers that Yahushua addresses. And this is all the day and life that you and I are living in as we rush headlong towards 2020 and the elections, right? I mean, we've got, there's a sign up our road of um, the commie guy. What's his name? Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, okay? He's like Bernie, son of Sheba. Remember Sheba, son of Bikri? Well, Sheba, son of Bikri, did what? Undermined the king. Right now we see Bernie Sanders is like Sheba, son of Bikri, trying to undermine everything that the presidency stands for as he tries to do more harm than did Absalom. Taking thou Lord's servants and pursuing after him, lest he get him fenced cities and escape us. Second Samuel 20 verse 6. You see, Bernie Sanders is doing the same thing like who? Sheba, son of Bikri, like Absalom, trying to win the hearts of idiots by offering them free stuff. Right? Trying to win the hearts of idiots with your Bernie bucks. This is the world that we live in. There's nothing new under the sun. Absalom tried it, and of course, Sheba, son of Bikri, invented it. Now, if Bernie gets in, what's going to happen? He's going to overrun the borders. He's going to implode the economy with his welfare state whilst nursing the millennials on the teat of Satan. That's really what we're dealing with today. As he fences up the cities, as he escapes to his Bernie bunker while everyone's trying to pass out his Bernie bucks, and people are falling for this. It's absolute chaos that he is trying to ferment. But you can't tell that to the millennials because they want the Bernie bucks. This is crazy times that we're living in. And I don't mean to get all political, but actually I do. Because I love to address the reality of the world that we live in through the lens of Scripture. But we shouldn't depend on health care promised to us by our government. We shouldn't depend on Social Security and Medicare. We shouldn't depend upon a tax break for locking up our income in some government-sanctioned retirement account. Why should we do that? Pay taxes. But pay taxes once. And then pluck the coin out of the fish's mouth. I mean, do we have to get repeatedly taxed on everything? I already paid tax on it. And now I've got to pay tax on it again? And then I've got to pay... It's absolutely crazy. But this is what they have constructed the world that we live in today. Tax a believer once as we then pull a coin out the fish's mouth 
and leave us to multiply a harvest of Yahuwah's blessings. So, yeah, I believe we should live a quiet and peaceable life in pursuit of Yahuwah, but we have to address the present reality in which we do live. Because Judah, the house of Judah, at the time of this writing, they listened to their false prophets rather than Yahuwah. They listened to the false promises rather than pursuing Yahuwah. They looked to the state instead of the state of their sin. And that's the problem. I need to look at the state of my sin. But we have a whole generation that is full of pride and they're looking to the state. But until we address the state of our sin, we'll never be humble. When the next house was on fire, how was it possible? How was it possible for you to sleep? The next house was on fire. How was it possible for you to sleep? Except you were extremely pig ignorant. This is what I come up against every day. Every day. But pig ignorant is what Judah was. Pig ignorant is what she was. And she continues to be in her corrupt freedom from Yahuwah's law because she did violence to his law. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. Therefore wait upon me, says Yahuwah, until the day that I rise up to the plunder. For your determination is to gather the nations, that they may assemble all kingdoms to pour upon them my indignation, even all my fierce anger. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then, when, then will I return to the people a pure and clean language that they may all call upon the name of Yahuwah to serve him in one accord. You see, Judah rejects all four of Yahuwah's witnesses to himself. They were witnesses to himself. That's what they were supposed to be in the opening verses of chapter 3. Judah rejected, number one, her princes. Instead of shepherds, those princes become what? Devouring lions. Number two, Judah rejected her judges. Judges are supposed to do what? Judges are supposed to defend. Instead, they accepted bribes and kickbacks with wolfish greed. Wolfish greed. And number three, Judah rejected her prophets. Prophets are supposed to be guides. They're supposed to guide you. But instead, they became blabbers and scandal mongers. Scandal mongers. And finally, number four, her priests. Her priests were supposed to be holy, heavens, heavens, help us, holy. They're supposed to be able to distinguish between that's clean and that's unclean. But her priests, they've consumed the unclean, so they don't know the difference themselves. Do we live in such a day? Do we live in such a day? They've secularized their world so much and they've ignored and perverted the law, done violence to it, that they don't know what clean and unclean is anymore. They've become so secularized, it's called syncretism. Their religious activities and ceremonies are all form oblivious of the substance. We live in a world where our princes have fallen, our judges are fallen, our prophets are fallen, and our priests are fallen. And so the words of Zephaniah need to come forth today 
and be confronted. You and I need to confront the princes, the judges, the prophets, and the priests. This is a warning to us not to follow form, but to follow substance. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. For then will I return to the people a pure, clean language that they may all call upon the name of Yahuwah to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshippers, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring my offering. So verse 9, if you think about it, it echoes Genesis chapter 11, doesn't it? How do you make that connection? Well, what happened in Genesis chapter 11? In Genesis chapter 11, Yahweh punished mankind's rebellion by confusing the languages into a babel, into a babel, and he scattered them abroad. But here, here we have a pure language restored, and the people worship Yahweh in one accord. So we have chaos, Genesis 11. Now we have order. But it's Yahweh's order, not the new world order. There's the distinction. Universal fellowship was broken off at Genesis 11. And I know my flat earth fans out there are going to go, universal, you can't use the word universe. Yes, I know, but I like to mess with you. Yet we find in Genesis 11, it was, of course, broken off, but restored in Acts chapter 2. The work of the Ruach HaKodesh restores, of course, the pure language, does it not? In Acts chapter 2, the fruition of the substance of Messiah. I love it. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. Oh, I've got to sit down. I'm just, whew, just take in the surroundings here. My goodness, sometimes it's, a, it's intense being me. It's pretty intense, I've got to tell you. It really is. Whew. Good night. I've got to have a break from myself. I need a holiday from Matthew. Mm. Got my Mexican water here. I don't know how righteous that is, but... Hopefully it's legal. And I'm allowed to say that because I used to be an illegal immigrant. And guess what I did? Guess what this illegal immigrant did? Do you realize, I'm going to go off on a tangent because I'm taking a little break right now. In 1995, in the winter of 1995, there was a knock on my door. And I came to the door in my boxer shorts. And outside was the immigration jail van full of illegal immigrants with ice at my front door with their guns, and I was going into that van. Do you realize that? But they didn't put me in that van because the night before, when you used to buy paper airline tickets, I'd bought an airline ticket to go and visit my mum. And I happened to be able to produce it because it was stuck to the refrigerator. And that's the only reason that I didn't go to an ICE detention center. So this illegal immigrant went back to England. And guess what? The profundity of it. I went to the American embassy and applied to come in through immigration. And here I am, a naturalized U.S. citizen. Because I followed the law. Ooh, what a, what a concept. What a concept. You can't talk like that. Well, yes, I can, because I'm allowed to. So, again, you know, we live in such a world of, like, nonsense. That, hey, I don't have a problem with ice, and they were chasing me for years. At some point, you have to take responsibility for your actions. And go, you know what? Yeah, maybe if I go back and I do it right and I just like confess and go and see um, the U.S. inspectors and uh, kind of come clean and then say, I'm sorry, what do I need to do to make it right? Well, it usually entails paying a fine. It always does, right? And then you do it right. 
And then guess what? You get the blessing. And you don't have to live a life in the shadows looking over your shoulder. So anyway, all that to say, I don't know about this Mexican water. <laughs> wow. But we were actually in the Bible, so let's get back to the Bible. <laughs> Verse 11. In that day shall you not be... But I needed a break from myself just for a moment. In that day you shall not be ashamed of all your doings in what you have transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of you those that rejoice in your pride. And you shall no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. So from verse 11 onward, very important in all seriousness now, we had our break. On verse, from verse 11 onward here, Jerusalem comes into full view as the center of Yahuwah's work. For there in Jerusalem he abides in the midst of his people. And it will be there in Jerusalem that Yahuwah will begin his end time judgment. It will be there, in fact, six centuries later after this writing that his son confronts the very principalities of the world. So I now want to show you through the next few verses how Yahushua squarely hits every, and I mean every, every single prophetic aspect of Zephaniah's chapter 3 prophetic judgment and deliverance oracles. We're going to now look at how Yahushua hits Zephaniah chapter 3 squarely on the head six centuries later. Everything that the prophets could not do, Yahushua did. Everything that the prophets said would come fully came in the substance. So Yahushua knew his audience and he knew that his audience would be familiar with the words of Zephaniah the prophet. So what does he do? He now directs his audience back to Zephaniah chapter 3 in particular with the following instances from verse 11, the end of the book, to its final climatic end. Now, remember the opening verses, how we started chapter 3, where Judah rejects all four of Yahweh's witnesses to himself. Now we're going to look and see, as we now delve from Zephaniah chapter 3, we're going to now delve into the New Testament, and we're going to see how Yahushua picks up on the words of Zephaniah, he knows that his audience are zealous. He knows that his audience sees that judgment's coming on Judah. He knows that his audience are sick of the prophets. They're false. They're sick of the priests. They're corrupt. They're sick of one, two, three, four of the very doom oracles addressed in Zephaniah chapter 3. The princes, the judges, the prophets, and the priests. So the prophet Zephaniah, think about it, it was actually read in the synagogue liturgy of the time that Yahushua walked, and it was instrumental in the ideology of the zealot movement, Zephaniah was. It was instrumental. And that's why Yahushua addresses it, because they were very familiar with the writings of Zephaniah. The zealot movement would be immersed in this prophet's language because it addressed the corruption. And the zealot movement was all about addressing the corruption of the four witnesses that Zephaniah talks about. Does that make sense? So, of course, Yahushua is dealing with the zealot movement at his time. So here we go. Now, number one, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, and let us guess, we're making educated guess, 
on who Yahusha is addressing. Okay, I'll give it away. He's addressing the princes, the Roman and Herodian princes. He's going to address them. He's going to confront them better, confront them head on. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of... What land? What land was Zephaniah addressing? Who was Zephaniah addressing? This is a prophetic parallel, if you can grasp it. A prophetic parallel. So, I don't want to lose anybody. I know you guys are super smart people. But sometimes we can have too much coffee, like myself, or whatever. And um, we can... So I want to kind of calm down a little bit because the big picture here, Zephaniah and the people of Judah and the four witnesses of Yahuwah, they've become corrupted, which then moves them into this dark, dark period. That's a consequence of rejecting the opening verses of Zephaniah chapter 3. So when John the Immerser brings in the light, the substance, Yahushua, he will now address the consequence of where they have been to solidify his substance, which is the connection between Zephaniah 3 and where I'm about to show you now. We're going to go with the princes. Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not thou least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So what is this talking about? The son, the substance, will judge the form. Govern the wicked princes. He's addressing it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would have crucified the master of glory. He addresses the princes. Number 2, Matthew 12, verse 24. He is now going to confront the judges. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. He confronts the judges that the children of Abraham will judge, not the synagogue of Satan. Not the synagogue of Satan, because the synagogue of Satan are by Beelzebub and they've done violence to the law. Now he's going to confront the prophets, Matthew 7, verse 15. And this, of course, is a remez, a hint, back to Zephaniah chapter 3. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are what? Ravenous wolves. Where do you think he got this from? Zephaniah chapter 3. This is why he's addressing it. And look at Luke 11.50. That the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. And then Matthew 11 verse 8. But what went ye out for ye to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they wear soft clothing that are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, more than a prophet. He confronts the prophets because the substance is so much more than a prophet. And finally, number four, Yahusha confronts her priests. Luke chapter 22, verse 52. Then Yahusha said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Buy ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves? 
When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour. What? The hour of Zephaniah's prophecies and judgments six centuries before. That hour and the power of darkness. Look at Mark 15 verse 3. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. He confronts them all. Princes, judges, prophets, and priests. This is powerful when you make the connection and you look at the dark period that came forth and sprung forth from Zephaniah chapter 3. And then the amazing light that Yahushua has to confront these things for the light to permeate into the darkness. He's got to confront the darkness. He has to confront her princes, her judges, her prophets, and her priests. Let's go back to Zephaniah chapter 3. Let's look at the 12th verse. I will also leave in the midst of you an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of Yahuwah. And of course, Yahushua now picks up on this in Mark 14, verse 7. So we're now going to be flipping back and forward from the prophecies of Zephaniah and seeing how Yahushua confronts everything that Zephaniah communicates. He's communicating how the poor have been afflicted and Yahushua says what we all know, the famous verse, for ye have the poor with you always. And whosoever ye will may do them good, but me ye have not always. Luke 4 verse 18. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Blessed ye the poor, for yours is the kingdom of Elohim. Now, in verse 13 of Zephaniah 3, we're going to address the remnant. And then Yahushua will pick up on that in Romans chapter 11 through the words of the prophet or the um, apostle Paul. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies. Neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed and lie down and none shall make them afraid. Romans 11.5 Even so then... At this present time also, there is actually a remnant according to the election of His grace. And of course, Romans 14, verse 11, For it is written, As I live, saith the Master, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess unto Yahuwah. Verse 14 of Zephaniah Roni Batsion, sing, O daughter of Zion. And many times we did that in the Messianic movement to the Roni, Roni Batsion. I think that's a Paul Wilbur song. Anyway, don't worry about it. If you've never done that, then you are truly blessed. <laughs> but I. Wow. Anyway. Shout aloud, O Israel. Some of you are like scratching your head. What's he talking about? But if you've been in the Messianic movement, you know what I'm talking about with the Messianic. You know what I'm talking about. The Roni Roni Batsion Paul Wilbur song where we're all in the gypsy dancing circle thinking, waving the star of Rapha, thinking that we're doing it unto Yahuwah with the nine branch menorah. Good night. Thank you, Yahweh, for rescuing me from the synagogue of Satan. Good grief. Oh, Israel, shout aloud. Be in joy and rejoice with all the heart. Oh, daughter of Jerusalem, Yahweh has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy, O king of Israel. Even Yahweh is in the midst of you. You shall not see nor fear evil anymore. Of course, Yahushua addresses the daughter of Zion in John chapter 12, verse 15. Fear not, Bat-Zion, 
daughter of Zion. Behold thy king. He's the one that cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. And lead us, of course, Matthew 6.13, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. So Yahushua confronts this. Now we go back to the 16th verse. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, and to Zion, let your hands be weak. Yahweh your Elohim in the midst of you is mighty, and he will save. Matthew 1, verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Yahushua, and he shall save his people from their sins. There's the confirmation. Back to Zephaniah. He will rejoice over you, verse 17, with joy. He will rest his love for you. He will rejoice over you with song, verse 18. I will gather all those that grieve for the holy congregation who are among you, to whom the reproach of exile it was a burden. This is addressed, of course, the burden of Jerusalem in Luke 13, verse 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings? And ye would not. Ye would not. Verse 19 of Zephaniah chapter 3. Behold at that time I will deal with all that afflict you. I will save her that is lame and gather her that was driven out. I will get for them prayer and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. Of course we know on this side of history, that Yahushua dealt with the Romans, that Yahushua dealt with the Herodians, that Yahushua dealt with the synagogue of Satan. He told John the Immerser's disciples, hey, go tell him, go tell him that I've healed the lame, that I've risen the dead, that I've given sight to the blind man. And finally, Yahushua did what? He gathered. He gathered those scattered abroad together into one. John chapter 11, verse 51. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Yahushua should die for that nation. That nation that did violence to the Torah. That nation that did not heed the princes, the prophets, the judges, and the priests because they had become so corrupt, because they followed form that the substance would have to die for that nation. And But not for that nation only. Not for that nation only. But also for you and me today scattered out here in the nations scattered far abroad you've got to get hold of the substance because if you and I can't look around and see how corrupt our princes, our prophets our priests and our judges have become, I don't know what to tell you because in verse 20 it culminates and finishes right here, at that time Will I bring you again? Now is the time. He wants to bring us again. Even in the time that I gather you. For I will make your name a prayer among all peoples of the earth. When I turn back your captivity before your eyes. Yahweh turned back my captivity before my eyes. Before my wife's eyes. Before your all eyes. He's turning back the captivity of Jacob. And I'll finish 
with Luke chapter 4, verse 18. I can't believe there's only three chapters to Zephaniah because I just feel like I'm getting warmed up. I'm sure we've lost a bunch of chapters. I'm sure we have because, I mean, this is, I mean, he's just getting going and I'm like, what? Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit of Yahweh, it is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those are bruised. Zephaniah 1, 2, 3. Oh, what a book of judgment. Judgment that it seems so demoralizing. And how can you be inspired reading, reading the book of Zephaniah? But this third chapter is inspiring when you make the connection to how Yahushua addresses these four witnesses and confronts the four witnesses that they in the day of Zephaniah rejected. This is what inspires me because I can see the connections. I can see that Yahushua confronted the corruption and I feel the responsibility as a follower of Yahushua to confront the same corruption today. I truly do. So I hope that as you work through this book of Zephaniah that you're inspired because ultimately, yes, judgment can seem so doom-ridden, but ultimately when you have the substance, you're not in bondage by the form because you have been liberated to the righteousness of Torah. You're not following the form because you now have the substance around you. So those of you that are out there, we appreciate you tuning in right here to our Torah to the Tribes channel. We have just had such an increase lately, so please continue to subscribe to this channel and hit that notification button and you will get notifications when we go live or do a new upload. And remember, if you like this, give us some thumbs up. If you don't, I know there's always six of you, but if you don't, give us some thumbs down. That's okay. I appreciate the six of you tuning in anyway so you can be consistent. We have opened up the comment section, so be nice. Be nice. But if you have to be horrible, well, then, you know, be horrible. We love the comments anyway, because at least you can have a little bit of bantering. Questions, comments here today? Okay, we have a question that says, who are the two witnesses? Oh, there's so many, in, uh, so many different opinions on who are the two witnesses. Well, you, you could, some have said Moses and Elijah. Some have said um, Moshe, Moses, and um, John the Beloved, right? I, I've, I've, I really like what we were discussing before we went live today. Think about the two assemblies, Smyrna and Philadelphia. There are the two witnesses. They're the two witnesses. So I like that interpretation. But that's a great question. We can develop that more. Remember, those of you that are online, right now you can register for Sukkot. Feast of Tabernacles is coming up. So um, we did put up a YouTube about that registration. And thankfully, lots of you have enrolled and registered there. So September 30th to October 9th, Feast of Tabernacles. All right, and can Matthew list the four witnesses again, please? The four witnesses that they rejected and the four witnesses that Yahushua confronts are the, the princes, the prophets, the priests, and the judges of Zephaniah chapter 3 opening verses. And this is what Yahushua confronts. So what a blessing. It's rich. Spend some time in that book. Meditate on the word of Yahoo. And we'll catch you live next Shabbat and Baruch Hashem Yahweh. Amen.